And as you turn there, I'll mention that uh, we have our last membership class tonight. Hopefully we'll get it all done this evening and wrapped up. I did not send out a link. If you're in that class, I forgot to send out a link this past week, but I'll do that today <laughs> before the class starts, so that way you can get there. But it is tonight at 6 o'clock, so if you have been involved in that class, uh, please uh, join us tonight at 6 on Zoom as we finish up the membership course, okay? Well, Joshua 23 is where we'll be, and we are nearing the end of the book of Joshua, and we're also nearing the end of Joshua's life. Here in just a matter of verses, Joshua will be buried, but uh, we're not quite there yet. And Israel was to understand at this time in Joshua's life, as they knew, of course, that he was getting older, and they knew he was going to die soon, they were to understand that this wasn't their end. Israel was to continue on. The generation after Joshua was to pursue the Lord still. And that's what we're going to be talking about today through chapter 23. But uh, let me go ahead and once again open with a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful to you and for your word. And we ask that you would bless this study now as we look into what it is that you have preserved for us. That we understand and apply this to our lives. And that we'd be grateful in our hearts for the ways that you have called people out of darkness from the beginning. And you've preserved for yourself a people from the beginning. Help us to cherish and appreciate your work in this world, your work particularly that's being manifested through us. God, we love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start in chapter 23 with a calling of Israel to gather together. Let's read again the first verse and a half of Joshua chapter 23. It came about after many days when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their enemies on every side that Joshua was old, advanced in years, that Joshua called for all Israel, for their elders and their heads and their judges and officers. And then he goes on to speak to them. But I want to pause right there uh, and want us to consider some, some items just from that fact alone. Last week, we were in chapter 22, and we were looking at this uh, misunderstanding that took place where two and a half tribes from Israel built an altar that offended the other tribes. And it all worked out. Aren't you happy there was a, there was a happy ending? That doesn't always happen in Scripture, does it? But there was a happy ending last week, and they all reconciled. Everyone was happy with one another. Well, it says that after many days, that's where we are in chapter 23, verse 1, after many days, uh, it's time for a group meeting. Uh, they have gone out, Israel's gone out, they've taken this land, and surely they've started to build, they've started to construct new houses and things of that nature. They inherited a lot of houses that they did not build, and surely they were renovating those and making them to their liking putting their smell in those houses instead of the Canaanite smell. What do you think a Canaanite smelled like anyway? Probably not very good. Uh, but here they are, and they're settling in the land. They're making it their own. And Joshua calls for all the leadership of now spread out Israel. He pulls them from their construction. He gets the, the leadership. Did you see the list there in verse 2? Their elders, heads, judges, and officers. He he gathers them together. 
after years of war and the people setting out to enjoy this new land, he says, come back. We have to have one more meeting. Now, he could have sent out this message just as he sent for them to come. It says that Joshua sent for them. He could have written something down that people could have taken around and and just said on Joshua's behalf, this is what Joshua is thinking. But he wanted them to come to him. He wanted to have a face-to-face meeting. And this is a good practice. I think we can already start to infer and apply something here, that it's good to have face-to-face conversations when you're seeking to have a meaningful conversation. Especially in today's day and age when you, you could just send out a group text. Can you imagine Joshua sending out a group text? <laughs> no, he wants them to come. He wants to see them face to face. And the purpose of this conversation is to remind them of the past and to commission them for the future. That's very important, okay? I want you to understand that because that's the whole dynamic here for the next chapter and a half. Joshua is reminding Israel of the past, and he's commissioning them for the future. And these are his parting words. He is about to die. These are his last words to Israel. Now, perhaps the people pondered, excuse the alliteration there, perhaps the people pondered, can't we just enjoy the moment and relax a while? I imagine I would have been thinking that. I perhaps would have been thinking, what now, Joshua? What, what now? Seven years of war? We finally have the land. Why, why do I have to come back? Well, when it comes to leadership, Joshua is showing us that leaders often just get to enjoy blessings for a short time, and then it's back to work. Joshua here was just enjoying the gift for a few days, the blessing of the land for many days, it says, but that wasn't the end. There was more to do. And he, as a leader, his role was to live in the future, to think about what was going to happen next and to commission the people for what was next. And this is a helpful reminder that we have to press on as God's people. We can't ever get so slack that we forget the mission, but that we need to press on with awareness Because don't you know that idolatry so often flows from idleness? What's that old phrase, idle hands are the devil's workshop, something like that? Well, Joshua wants to commission them for the future not to get too lax, but to press on for Yahweh. People really need the the provoking of godly leadership. I would say including leaders or especially leaders need the provoking of other godly leaders need that encouragement to be pushed on to the next thing. So Joshua starts his speech here in verse 2, and what I would like to do as we look at the way he's encouraging them to press on is I want to go ahead and read all the way through verse 16. I want to read this chapter as a unit, and then we'll go back and examine some of these things. So let's start there in the middle of verse 2 where Joshua begins to speak, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Joshua said to them, "'I am old.'" advanced in years. Verse 3, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he who has been fighting for you. See, I have apportioned to you these nations which remain as an inheritance for your tribes with all the nations which I have cut off from the Jordan, even to the great sea toward the setting of the sun. The Lord your God, he will thrust them out before you and drive them from before you And you will possess their land, just as the Lord your God promised you. 
Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, so that you will not associate with these nations, these which remain among you, or mention the name of their gods, or make anyone swear by them, or serve them, or bow down to them. But you are to cling to the Lord your God, as you have done to this day. For the Lord has driven out great and strong nations from before you. And as for you, no man has stood before you to this day. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. For the Lord your God is he who fights for you, just as he promised you. So take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. For if you ever go back and cling to the rest of these nations, these which remain among you, and intermarry with them so that you associate with them and they with you, I know with certainty that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations out from before you, but they will be a snare and a trap to you and a whip on your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled before you, not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Well, that's quite a statement from their leader, isn't it? There's quite the blend of encouragement and threatening as he is speaking on God's behalf to the people. Well, if we are going to say uh, something general that would summarize this statement from Joshua, we could say that the people were called to build upon their history. They were to rely on their reality that God has brought them to this place They were to toil from the truth. They were to fall back on God's good words. They were to see as their foundation what God has done for this nation, but to keep going, to keep building, to keep pressing on that this wasn't the end. This was just the beginning, that there was more that God had for them to do. And what we realize in this passage is that what has happened is intricately connected to what is next. Perhaps you've discovered this in your own life. Those things that have happened in your past, they've brought you to where you are today, haven't they? We can't so separate the past and the future and pretend like that they don't have a relationship because they have a very close relationship. And for Israel, they had a good past in many ways. Now, there were lots of things they did that were bad. Remember the 40 years in the wilderness? Not a good time for Israel's history. But in recent history, what have they seen? They've seen the Lord stop the Jordan River, and there they go. They've seen the Lord drive out the nations before them. Did you catch verse 10? I love verse 10. One of your men puts to flight a thousand. Now, that just doesn't happen naturally, does it? That is supernatural, that God did something in their warfare that gave Israel special success. 
And all of these things they've witnessed over the last decade or so, they were to build on that foundation for the future. They were to remember what God has done and build upon that. And so the first big encouragement that Joshua gives them in this speech is that God has been fighting for you, Israel, and He will continue to do so. We saw that at the second half of verse 3. It says, The Lord your God is He who has been fighting for you. Look at the beginning of verse 5. The Lord your God, He will thrust out these nations from before you. And of course, I just looked at verse 10, where one of their men is putting to flight a thousand of their enemies. Well, this is a, a really special aspect of Israel's history. They were the only nation that had Yahweh fighting for them. They were the only nation that Joshua could say, God has been fighting for you. It was just Israel. That was their promise. And Joshua, of course, had a very intimate encounter with the Lord that revealed this to him. Go back to chapter 5 with me. I don't know how many times we've revisited this passage, the end of chapter 5, but this had to be a very dramatic moment, a very memorable moment in Joshua's life when the captain of the Lord's army appeared to Joshua. Joshua chapter 5 verses 13 through 15. It says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. I love that. Rather, I indeed come now as captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What is my Lord to say to his servant? The captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You remember during Jesus' earthly life, so often when someone would ask him a question, he wouldn't give them a direct answer. It started all the way back in Joshua, didn't it? Are you for us or for our adversaries? And the captain of the Lord's army, Jesus himself, says, no. <laughs> He's not like other men who pick teams. He is the Lord. He is God himself. And men are obligated to follow him and follow him into battle. Well, this had to affect Joshua in deep ways. He had many experiences like this with the Lord and he knew that the Lord was fighting for his people. And if you look in our passage today, verse 3, Joshua knew that these leaders knew this too. Look how verse 3 begins. Joshua tells them, You have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. <laughs> they knew. The older men among them, those who were the oldest of the next generation after Joshua, they perhaps remember not only the 40 years in the wilderness seeing their parents die in the wilderness, but seeing God's miracles, providing manna, providing water in the wilderness. But they could even possibly remember going through the Red Sea. Some of them were young teens or even late teenagers when they went through the Red Sea leaving Egypt. They would remember. And I think there's an important principle for us too, because these older men that Joshua called to him, and he says, you've seen this. There's an obligation on their behalf to carry that faith to the next generation, isn't there? There's an obligation for them to remember what they have seen and pass on the faith to the next generation. 
There are some young people in Israel, of course, that would not remember one miracle. They may have lived through it and had no memory of it. Or maybe they were born after many of these things. But the older and the more experienced in Israel were to lead in faith, to lead by faith, and to lead with an exemplary life that is one based on faith. Don't you know that God does use the older people to encourage the younger? That's kind of His design here, (laughs) that as younger people go through some, to them, traumatic things in life, to have someone older who's seen more of the Lord's work come alongside and say, can I tell you what the Lord has done in my life? Can I tell you what the Lord has said about this from His Word? Can I share with you uh, just my heart for you in this situation and pray for you and care for you? I think there's something to that dynamic happening here, too, where those who are older who have seen the Lord's hand, who have seen what God has done, they were to carry on with that faith to the next generation, to care for those who are younger. But we also see in this speech that Joshua gives that God's future fighting on behalf of Israel, giving them victory in battle, it was conditional. It was not unconditional. Look again at verse 14 with me. What a beautiful verse this is. Joshua says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled before you. Not one of them has failed. Well, what a sweet encouragement. But then look at the warning in verse 15. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until He has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. There's the threat. There's the condition. Israel is told that if they cling to the other nations and the false gods, if they reject the word of the Lord and the commands of the Lord, if they leave God, depart from God in their hearts, God will no longer fight on their behalf. This quote from Dale Ralph Davis was, was pretty good. I, he has a lot of good quotes, but he says about this passage, after verse 14, we are ready to stand and sing in our finest devotional mood. Great is thy faithfulness. But before we can strike the chord, Joshua preaches to us that Yahweh's faithfulness is a two-edged sword, verse 15, that He is faithful both in grace and in judgment. Isn't that so true? God is faithful not just to show grace, but also to discipline His children, and when there is false worship, to pour out wrath. Well, it's critical to remember as we think about this provision being conditional, that God's fighting for them was conditional. It's important to remember the nature of the covenants that are at play. See in verse 15 again with me, at the end of verse 15, Joshua says plainly that God has given them this land. And isn't that true? God has given them the land. It goes all the way back to Genesis with Abraham. God had him go out and walk the land, and God says, this is yours forever. It was an unconditional promise He was promised the land and descendants to fill the land, and he was promised that he would be a blessing to the whole earth. There was a threefold promise that was unconditional. Abraham didn't do anything to gain that promise, and he could do nothing 
to lose that promise. And then along came Moses. 400 years later or so, Moses is chosen to lead Israel, and God makes a covenant with Israel through Moses, doesn't He? It's not just that there's this covenant to Abraham, but there's the covenant through Moses. And this covenant is conditional. For Israel to stay in the land with God's blessing, they had to keep the law. They had to keep the law. This wasn't a rewriting of the covenant that was given to Abraham. Galatians chapter 3 talks about this in the New Testament. God didn't rewrite any of His covenants. He didn't go back on any of His promises. But as an outflow of the Abrahamic covenant, in the Mosaic covenant, God says, this is your land, and if you're going to stay there, you have to be obedient. You have to obey. And that's really what Joshua is saying to them in this speech, isn't he? To remain here, you have to obey. For God to continue to fight for you, you have to obey. Because God will not tolerate sinfulness in the land. It's worth noting, too, that after the Mosaic Covenant, there's the New Covenant that was initiated through Jesus' blood. It's also unconditional, like the Abrahamic Covenant, and God has expanded that promise to include us Gentiles, hasn't He? We can enjoy God and relate to God through the New Covenant because of what Jesus has done. But for Israel, at this time, under the Mosaic Covenant, they were told, obey the law of Moses. That's how God will keep fighting for you. And we see the conditional provision of the law play out in Israel's future. Turn with me just a couple pages to the book of Judges, Judges chapter 2. God has just said through Joshua, if you rebel, I will stop fighting for you. Well, it doesn't take long. It takes, in my Bible, one page. (laughs) One page, and here we are. Judges chapter 2, look at what happens here in Israel's future. Judges 2, verse 1. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochum, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. There it is. Could there be scarier words in the Bible? We think of Jesus saying in the end, there will be some to whom he says, I never knew you. If we were to hear from the voice of the Lord today, you have not obeyed me, that would cut us pretty deep, as it should, because we are called to obey the Lord. And remember, this is before the time of Christ. This had to cut deep. What is this that you have done? Verse 2. Continuing on, verse 3. Therefore, also, I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. Well, let's look farther down in this passage. We, we see in verse 10 that there was a generation that rose up that did not know the Lord. But let's read verses 11 through 15, more about what Israel goes on to do. It says, the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Asheroth. 
The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. That's what happened. God promised through Joshua that this would happen if they turned from him, and so they did. They tested the Lord, and you never win when you test the Lord, do you? Well, Joshua's second encouragement, going back to what he's saying to them at that time in chapter 23 of the book of Joshua, the first encouragement was, he will continue to fight for you. The second encouragement is, remember the law of Moses and keep it. Verses 6 and 7, that's what we were just talking about. This is the condition. Joshua says to the people, be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Aren't you so, so thankful that that is not your commission? (laughs) Because you don't do well with that. And I know that because I'm like you. (laughs) We just don't do well with that, do we? We can't obey. But this was their commission at that time to obey the law. And their future success depended on it. Look at the last verse of the chapter, verse 16. It says, this is the promise, when you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which He commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you. That was the promise. God demanded that the covenant be kept. Israel had to work for the blessing of living in the land. They had to keep up their end of the deal. It was totally conditional. And this work, this obedience, was to flow from a heart of devotion. Look at verses 8 and 11. I I love verse 8 in particular. You are to cling to the Lord, Joshua says. You are to cling to the Lord your God. In verse 11, they're encouraged to love the Lord. Take diligent heed to love the Lord your God. This was a call from Joshua to continually give themselves over in service to God from a heart of love, giving self over to His service only. One of my favorite passages in the Bible addresses this very thing. I'll just read it to you. It's Deuteronomy chapter 10. You can jot that down and say, one of Jeremy's favorites. You can put that in your notes, okay? Deuteronomy 10 verses 12 and 13, Moses said, "'Now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you but to fear the Lord your God?' and to walk in all His ways, and to love Him, and to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the Lord's commandments and His statutes, which I am commanding you today for your good. Israel was given the picture of what it meant to live for God, and they're being warned, not just in Moses' day, but in Joshua's day. There was a lot on the line for keeping God's commandments. There was a lot on the line. Their new houses that's on the line. The place that they found for their cattle and their sheep to graze, that was on the line. Their peace, their comfort, their safety, all of that was on the line for keeping the commandments. They were told that's what they had to do because sin demands discipline and false worship incurs wrath, doesn't it? Yahweh would not allow Israel to receive blessings in the land while practicing idolatry in the land and disobeying His commandments. And the curse was just as sure of a promise as the blessing. Some people uh, who perhaps like to pretend like they are still under the law of Moses, how quickly they remember the blessings. 
and how quickly they forget the curses. Oh yeah, we keep the law, we do this, we do that, and we just have such a blessed life. But you know that to stumble in one area of the law is to be guilty of all of it. And if you're guilty of breaking the law, there are promises for the threats that come upon you. That's what Israel was living under. The curse was just as sure a promise as the blessing. Well, there's another encouragement that Joshua gives, not just that God has been fighting for you and He will continue to do so, remember the law and keep it. Here's the third encouragement. The Lord has built this nation out of nothing, and He will continue to build it. Now, this we see mostly in chapter 24, so I want to read a few verses in chapter 24 as his speech continues. It says in 24.1 that he gathers the tribes of Israel. He calls for their elders and heads and judges and officers. But let's look at verses 2 through 4 and then 11 through 13. Joshua says to all the people, "'Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, "'From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, "'namely Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor,' And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and fed or led him, fed him too, but led him through all the land of Canaan and multiplied his descendants and gave him Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and to Esau I gave Mount Seir to possess it. But Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. So here he's just kind of giving a big overview of Israel's history. And how did they start? By his grace, by God's sovereign grace. Abraham and his parents, they were serving all kinds of other gods, and and Yahweh, the one true God, plucked them out and sent them on a mission. And that's how this all got started. Let's keep reading. Drop down to verse 11 with me. Joshua reminds the people this generation, you crossed the Jordan and came to Jericho, and the citizens of Jericho fought against you. Then the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Jebusite... Thus I gave them into your hand. Then I sent the hornet before you, and it drove out the two kings of the Amorites before you, but not by your sword or your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you have lived in them. You are eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. Wow. So the big summary here is, you shouldn't be here. But God has made it happen, hasn't He? You didn't do anything to put yourself in this situation. In battle, it wasn't your sword. It wasn't your arrow. It wasn't any of your weaponry. It wasn't your cunning and your strategy. It wasn't whoever the equivalent of you know, General Eisenhower was at that time. You know, it wasn't any of that. It wasn't Joshua. It was the Lord. He was the one who brought them there. And He gave them so much to inherit that they could enjoy. And the Lord never intended that this would be the end. Remember, that's Joshua's big call in this speech. There's more to do. Press forward. Keep laboring in the work of God. Rely on the reality that God has brought you here. Keep toiling in the truth that God has given you. Because how easy it would have been for the people of Israel to just get to that place and rest as though they were already in the new earth. And we long for that day, don't we? When there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will just be rest. There will be no more work, no more pressing on, but enjoying God forever in a new place without any sin. This had to kind of feel like that for them. They just saw God's miraculous works of driving out all the nations and these beautiful 
fruits and houses and this beautiful land. But this is not the end, Joshua says. This is not the new earth. God, through Joshua, is reminding them of their past to provoke them toward the future. God works progressively here. He's been working progressively in Israel, and He laid out His plan for them. You can write down this reference. We won't turn there, but Exodus 23, in Exodus 23, verses 26 to 31, God told them this would happen. He said, I'm I'm going to slowly drive them out. He specifically said, "I, I won't do this in one year. It will take several years, and you will enjoy a land that is not yours. So Joshua tells them that he's about to die but the work must continue. Well, what kind of applications can we make today for the church? Again, this is one of those times where we look at the passage and it seems so far away, so different, so, so long gone. And in many ways it is, right? 3,000 years ago, in battle, driving out nations to conquer a land, that's different than our lives. That's different than what we've been going through, I, I think. If that's similar to what you've been doing, I really want to know more about you. Uh, I would love to hear about that. But what kind of applications can we make in the church today? Well, I think the, the general idea still applies to us. We, as God's people, must continue to build upon the blessing, right? We must build upon the blessing that God has given us. We cannot rest in such a way that we cease to press on. And, and that's one of the great tensions or paradoxes of the Christian life. When you come to know the Lord Jesus, there is great rest for you. Jesus promised this, didn't He? Come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. There's rest for your soul that I hope you have felt. I hope you, you've deeply experienced rest for your soul in Jesus Christ. Because He did come 1,400 years or so after Joshua, and that He was the more excellent Joshua, and that He conquered all of our spiritual enemies, and He purchased for Himself a people with His own blood. And because He has been building His church, those who believe that He died in their place for their sins, who believe that He rose again, who have placed their trust, all of their confidence in Jesus, we have rest. Because for our salvation, there is nothing left for you to do. Jesus paid it all. But then what does that next line say? all to Him we owe, right? That affects our lives very deeply. And and we're called to push on now, to take that faith that was handed to us and to pass it to the next generation, to reach a lost and dying world, to be a light in in a dark place, a light shining in a dark place. That's Paul's commission in Philippians 3 to press on. He does, he says, it's not that I've already obtained everything, but I press on for the upward call in Christ Jesus. We recognize that once God has done all the work on our behalf in in purchasing our salvation, all that's left for us is to live out of a life of gratitude, thankfulness, and praise, to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, seeking to do His will. The heart of our pressing on is the pursuit of God in this life. And that's the second application I think we can take from this, is that holiness truly is important among God's people, isn't it? This was a threat for Israel. You will be dispossessed if you reject the holiness of the Lord. And as the church, we're called in the book of Hebrews to pursue holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We recognize that we have the holiness of Christ on our account, and no one can take that away. 
But now that it's in our account, we pursue it. We live from a life of a new nature that God has given us. And we pursue holiness based on the Word of God. We're not under the law of Moses as Israel was. They're told, go, go to the law and keep the law. Be very diligent to keep every part of the law. Well, that's not what I'm up here telling you today. Praise God. But I am telling you to seek the Lord in His Word. See what it is He desires for you. Because don't you know, He's told us some stuff. He's called us to a standard of living. He's called us to pursue Christ in all that we do, to pursue holiness, to live out of that place of gratitude while pursuing holiness. We appeal to the Word of God as we seek to serve Him. And then finally, this is, these are all tied together. But another application we can make here is the importance of separation from the world. How easy it was for Israel to slip back into idolatry. What we read in Judges chapter 2, Judges, Judges 2.11, they did evil in the sight of the Lord. The next generation, there arose a generation who did not know the Lord. They did not separate themselves from the Canaanites, but they embraced what the Canaanites taught. They embraced the gods of the Canaanites. They were told, here, here worship this God and you'll have fertility. Worship this God and He'll send rain for your crops. And so they did. We look back and think, how foolish, how dumb can you be, Israel? Stupid Israelites. But you have to realize in their context at that time, don't you know those people were probably really convincing, very persuasive, that for Israel there was a tension and they were called to reject what their flesh might say, to reject what the false gods might beckon, to appeal to the one true God and bow down to Him alone. The church, too, is to separate from the world, to reject all forms of false worship. And we may not have literal Canaanites running around with the Baals and the Asheroth and saying, worship this tree. We, don't, we may not have that. But we do have a plethora of temptations to pull us away, don't we? Constantly, we have temptations surrounding us seeking to pull us away from worshiping the one true God. And we have no land to be kicked out of, praise God, except for the earth itself. He disciplines, doesn't he? He disciplines those whom he loves. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, that's why some of you are sick and some of you have died. God's disciplining you. In Hebrews, it confirms what it says in Proverbs, a loving father disciplines the children that he loves. He disciplines his own children. And we have to recognize that this is an aspect of our relationship with God, that if we wander, if we stray, if we reject the holiness of life that God has called us to in our pursuit of Him, and out of gratitude for the gospel, He will discipline us. He will. Does that mean He'll bring a, a group of Canaanites over here to dispossess us from our church property? Probably not. But God will do what He wants to do. He's in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. And it does please God to discipline His children because He cares about righteousness among His people. And so we can take these things in and we can see the, the need, even though we're so far removed, we can see the need for repudiating the world, but seeking the Lord while He may be found. Whether you're not a Christian today or you are a Christian today, the call is to cling to Jesus and to bring that to bear on all of life. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much that we live during this time, 
that you have saved us and that you've seen fit to pour out your grace on us. God, give us a gratitude for the gospel that, that Jesus did pay it all. There's nothing left for us to do to earn anything with you. All of our merit is wrapped up in Jesus. And Lord, we ask that as we ponder on that and, and meditate on this reality, that it would have a great impact on our lives, that we would pursue you, that we would separate ourselves from the Lord or from the world. Oh, Lord, forgive me. That we would, we would not separate ourselves from you, but that we would cling to you and that we'd separate ourselves from the world and that we would follow you in holiness of life. God, help us to think rightly about the world around us and to serve you well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.